And for my new listeners, uh, I'm your hostess, Karen Tate, and I have been honored to be named one of the 13 most influential women in goddess spirituality, no doubt because of this very show. Also a wisdom keeper of the goddess spirituality movement. I'm also a very affordable life coach, another service I provide the community. So if you're ever in need of that kind of help uh, or life facilitation, think of me as a resource. You don't have to be local either because I do life coaching over Skype. Uh, I make it really convenient and affordable, so keep me in mind. I'm also the author of several acclaimed books, uh, two of which are on sale right now just during the month of May, so I want to make sure you hear about this. If you have not yet picked up Goddess Calling or Voices of the Sacred Feminine, do it right now or maybe wait till after the show. Uh, just go to Amazon. You can get the Kindle versions for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. That special offer is rare, and it won't be repeated, so don't delay. Uh, Goddess Calling, if you're not sure what it's about, well, it offers inspirational readings and meditations that uh, suggest how Goddess provides a new path forward, sets our thinking free from patriarchal oppression. And, of course, uh, the anthology is based on on the guests uh, who I've interviewed here on the radio show, Voices of the Sacred Feminine. And the anthology is Voices of the Sacred Feminine, Conversations to Reshape Our World, and it's received acclaim as it shows what a big umbrella ideals of the sacred feminine actually are, with contributors like Noam Chomsky, Laura Flanders, Charles Eisenstein, Jean Shinoda Bolin, and many, many more notable names from the goddess community, academia, and even some new voices carrying the torch forward for the sacred feminine. So don't forget, just during the month of May, go to Amazon, $1.99, Kindle version, Goddess Calling, and Voices of the Sacred Feminine. And uh, if you didn't know, my first book, which was actually the hardest one to write, uh, was Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations, uh, traveling to these destinations of the sacred feminine. Well, you know, it really validated all of this stuff um, in my mind. You know, this whole uh, idea of goddess, the sacred feminine, herstory. And uh, I didn't actually know it would end up in a book when I was doing those travels. I just uh, went on these journeys because I, um, I guess you could say I was marrying my interests of goddess with ancient cultures and travel, and um, before you know it, uh, hit a lot of places under my belt, and I got the offer to write Sacred Places of Goddess. It does tell you how to get to all the 108 places across the globe. And you know what? If uh, you're just an armchair traveler, that's cool too. I've heard on numerous occasions the book brings goddess alive uh, in all of these sites. Uh, Walking Ancient Path, uh, Rebirthing Goddess on Planet Earth. Well, that was my second book, and it was an award winner. It follows my path as a priestess over the decade that I ran the Isis Ancient Culture Society, and it helps one lead a goddess-inspired life, I think. Uh, there's also a lot in there about magical experiences and divinations uh, that actually helped me find my way. Um, yeah, when goddess really noticed and... Um, help me out. Uh, you should check them out on my website, too, if you like. Uh, and if, if uh, when you're there, if you want to purchase them from me, you can get a signed copy. And uh, while you're there, don't miss all the free stuff. 
And again, my website is my name, KarenTate.com. Now, um, you'll want to stay tuned in uh, after this interview with um, Lady Brenda McCoy because I have some very interesting things to share in my What's the Buzz segment. I want to tell you about the interview I did that will never air was actually an interview somebody did interviewing me. Yes, the interview that will never air. Also, uh, there's news about uh, female genital mutilation being banned uh, in Nigeria. Uh, There's also some interesting scholarship, I bet you didn't know, on the history of wearing the veil in ancient Sumeria. Also have some comments from listeners and uh, other stuff too. So don't go anywhere. Settle in and get comfortable. So, Uh, It's that time uh, to turn our attention to uh, my wonderful guest and friend tonight, uh, Lady Brenda. And I've already told you a good bit about her, but uh, some other things I didn't uh, tell you is... uh, uh, the name of some of her books, uh, her nonfiction books, are Tarot Secrets and Reiki for Witches uh, from Solstice Sisters Publishing 2015 and The Wings of Isis uh, from O Books in uh, 2010. Uh, she's had an interesting life. Uh, she was born in Southern California and raised in East Africa. She also writes vampire fantasy and nonfiction in the metaphysical genre. Uh, but we'll hear more about uh, her new book that's Uh, coming out this year, in fact, I think it might be out right now or in a month or two, called Devlin's Curse. So uh, let me say welcome, Brenda, to the show. Well, I'm really glad to be here. And let me just say that um, you talked about being one of the 13 most influential people in the goddess world. Well, you know, I think you're probably up there with number one because a harder working <laughs> priestess I have never known. <laughs> and we have talked about this too because, you know, working, you know, walking the path of the goddess is not easy. It's, that's why they call it the work, you know, and um, you certainly have put in the work. I think all of us, and, you know, we, you kind of touched on one of the first talking points I was going to talk about here. And that is, you know, what does it mean to be a modern witch? Or And then you can even say, what does it mean to be somebody in this day and age that, you know, follows the mother, follows the goddess? And right. it takes a lot of being able to balance this world, this mundane world in which we live now, with the teachings, the ancient teachings that are based on universal truths that we forget you know, as we go in our daily lives, that there's something else out there besides, you know, what we physically see here as we walk along the streets. You know, the cycles of the moon, the cycles of the sun, you know, all the, quote, magic that exists in nature and the universe. And so being a modern witch, and I call myself a witch. As a matter of fact, I knew I was a witch by the time I was 14. I just had that calling. I just, it's something you feel inside of you that, that's such a, it's a connection and a pulling towards something. You might not be able to identify it at first, and I just knew that my first love was magic. And, you know, there's a lot of people, they, you, know, you know, Harry Potter and all that, that's, you know, that's got some seeds of truth in that, even though it's fantasy. But I knew when I was very young, when I was my early teens, that I wanted to do magic. And, you know, people, 
want to know what's the definition of that and what that the definition of magic for a witch or a practitioner, someone who follows the path, is it's the manipulation of natural forces to do one's will. And that's not like, oh, we're going to manipulate something, we're going to take its will per se, but it's a way of focusing our energy to create things in our lives and working with nature, and whether that be healing, whether that be something that benefits us in all ways. And I can tell you something, Karen. I can honestly say a lot of the things I've gotten in my life, I've done it with magic, and I'm not ashamed to say it. Yeah. Well, and and I want and, and you know, and if you don't mind, um, you know, I'd I'd like you to share some of those examples. But but let me ask you, Brenda, because you know, I don't think we've ever talked about this in all the years we've known each we other. Haven't. I didn't know you. We haven't. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't realize you started so young. Um, was this, you mm-hmm. know, were, are you a hereditary witch? I mean, was this in your family, or um, or or no, or were you the the first in the family? Well. I wasn't the first in the family, but I didn't find that out until later. It's a very interesting journey that I went through. My parents, well, I was born in California, and then my father got a job in East Africa, Kenya, as, and he worked for um, an organization. He was an administrator for Catholic Relief Services. And so what that is is they bring food and clothing, and they distribute it to the, you know, the villages and the people there. And so when I went there, I, ha- I started experiencing, I was probably between ages, you know, seven to, we came back when I was about 13, came back to the States. From seven to 13, I experienced a lot of, I mean, it's a very rich and mysterious culture there. And the people believe a lot in a lot of magic, a lot of folklore, and um I didn't know what they were saying, but I could feel it, and I would experience a lot of really deep psychic dreams as a child then. And um, then there was different folklore that I just absorbed the whole thing, and I think that that, not, I couldn't even really put my finger on it so much, but when I came back to the United States, I started to like really seek out the study of you know, ancient belief systems magic, and what they used to call it back then, they didn't call it Wicca, they called it witchcraft. And Mm -hmm. um, so then, you know, I was always studying anything I could find on herbalism, healing, magic, any of that. Back then, like the premier book in the 70s was um, Paul Husson's Mastering Witchcraft, right? And that's another story in itself. But anyhow, so I started out that way. I just knew I just wanted to, this was my calling. And my my father used to say, when are you going to give up with the, all this witch stuff? <laughs> but the funny thing is, I know, he'd look at me and he'd say, when are you going to give this up, right? Because he thought, oh, God, you're never going to find a man if you're going to be like this, right? <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> in the 70s, too, like I don't know if you remember, in the early 70s, there was like this, first kind of goth movement uh, that came out with when the when interview with the vampire came out you know and so everybody was dressing oh, in yeah. black and stuff and boy yeah I was like wearing the antique clothes and the whole bit oh I just found myself and then when my father turned 60 I think it was in my 30s at the time then he revealed to me that my great-grandmother Annunziata was a 
a strega from Italy. And a strega wow. is an Italian witch. And so it she, was in the blood. Um, it was in the blood. And I didn't know that because I was in my 20s. And this is before he revealed it to me. And his mother, which is her daughter, she was passed over a long time ago, Annunziata. But I went to my cousin Tony's wedding, right? Because there's always a Tony in an Italian family. <laughs> and so my grandmother looks at me, and she puts her finger up, and she looks at me, and she goes, I know who you are. I know who you are. I go, you do? I didn't know what she was talking about. But apparently I look a lot like my great-grandmother, and um, she knew I was into all this stuff. And, and so as long as my grandmother lived, because she went an opposite way than her mother, which often happens, she would always say when I ever talked to her, she knew I was a professional psychic and I was following the path, she would say to me, she'd go, when are you going to get a real job? <laughs> I said, <laughs> I'd say, Grandma, this is my real child. This is what I do. <laughs> but uh, my great-grandmother, Annunziata, she did it all. She did the divination, and she did it with, with dice. And she oh. did uh, what, they, what they call, she was a Victorian spiritualist, and she would hold sessions and in the neighborhood. She was a healer. She did house blessings, all that stuff. And the Italians have this thing. It's called removing the evil eye, the malocchio. And she used to do that for people. <laughs> so she was in the United oh. States. She came from Rome. She couldn't speak any English. So, well, I'm curious, did she ever, um, you know, have any, like, Christian backlash? Because, um, well, I, cause I, or was she sort of buffered within the Italian community and that was kind of she just was, part she, of their tradition? She was. That was exactly it. Because Catholics... I'm not speaking for all Catholics, but a lot of the Catholics, especially Italian Catholics and even a lot of the Hispanic Catholicism, there is an underlying belief in all of this. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, a lot, it's, it's the, the different archetypes of the Catholic Church, like the Mother Mary, she is kind of a goddess figure. You, you mm-hmm. know, it's kind of been accepted throughout the years in these cultures and and the Italians believe a lot of this and it's intertwined yeah. in their culture even now yeah 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 well and so we, I know you have a, a daughter she's uh well I think she's even past her teenage years now so she's is she taking up the mantle believe it Oh my God, twenty-five! You know, can you so does, that? does she do this, <laughs> or does she do this, or is it going to skip a generation and you're going to have to it's train your granddaughter? It's not going to skip a generation. It's actually not going to skip a, grand, a, a generation because I've trained her. She was um, at nine days old. She had her first initiation at nine days old, and wow. in a circle, it was beautiful. And she um, she follows the ways, and she was very, mm-hmm. you know, she was raised in the Sabbath because my husband and I, he's of the same belief system as I am, and he's my priest, and so, you know, we do all our, you know, we have all our Sabbaths, our seasonal festivals that we do all year long, and she grew up that way, and she carried it on. She never at one, she never at any moment ever thought about going in any other direction, and as a matter yeah. of fact, she got a lot of a lot of bullying in school. She really did. Yeah. 
Well, I, mean, I can't imagine what you, they'll you, do. I, I, and I can't imagine uh, a, a right-wing Christian coming out of your household either. <laughs> <laughs> no, they probably spontaneously combust. <laughs> so, so for the for the so for the person out there, Brenda, who you know their only idea of what a witch is, and and I think we have to first of all, you know, well, we have to talk about how that that title that that label needs some rehabilitation, you know. But uh, you know, they've only they've seen the craft, they've seen the Hollywood witches. Um, you know, maybe they've heard the disinformation out there in, um, you know, right-wing Christendom. Um, what do you think is some of the most uh, prevalent disinformation about what a witch really is? Well, you know, they talk about like there's several like Hollywood movies out there out there that are that are that are both the good and the bad out there. Um, I would have to say most recently. One of the, um, and I really enjoyed this because it showed the the positive, because I believe that everything is a balance. It's all polarity, and and you know there's there's a negative and the positive in nature. There's a negative and positive in our belief system. You know it's it's we we counterbalance everything. Um, the movie Maleficent with Angelina Jolie. Yes, it was a fantasy, right? But her mm-hmm. character and the way it was portrayed as being so close to nature. And her being kind, you know, um, the negative part being, you know, the dark destroyer type, you know, um, vengeful magic, that type of stuff. But then the rebirth of nature and the being the protector of nature. I mean, it, it, that is a very interesting, it's got a lot of layers in it. And, and you know, it, it takes thinking about, but... Uh, you could see how she, even through the negative things that she did, she it was all to protect the regeneration of you know of nature and the and you know the world as she knew it. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. Um, then we have something stupid like witch hunters out there, which you know they always want to say that you know they're negative and it's against God. And um, it's again, it's evil. Well, you know, what is the concept of evil, really? Not if you believe yeah. in, you know, not if you believe in karma. Not if you believe in do you're gonna you know, like the rule of three. You, you do three things, they come back to you three times. That's a karmic type. That's that's part of our belief system. We you well, and, it's and it's about accountability. Well, and it's hypocritical too, really. When yeah. you know, uh, like, like say Christianity, for instance, wants to demonize um, Wicca uh, or witchcraft. When uh, you know, when mm-hmm. you see all of the evil—I mean, if we're going to use the word evil—you know, the damage, the damage that Christianity does. So, um, you know, it, I, it makes me think of that saying: uh, "People who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones." Um, exactly, you know, because and what it is, exactly, exactly. It's a preconception of something. Like if you say the evil thing, so you're putting this preconception. It's 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 a fear. If you do this, mm-hmm. you're going to be damned. If you do this, mm-hmm. you're going to be damned. What about what about taking responsibility for your own actions? I think that that's a better way for people to grow. 
Well, and and I think they're really afraid of the power of nature, too, because, you know, I've I've talked to scholars. Yeah, I've talked to scholars here on the show, and, you know, they've said stuff like one of the reasons patriarchy came along was because uh, humanity um, wanted to try to cheat the cycles of life, you know, the death and rebirth kind of cycle, and Mm -hmm. so they created a, a new ideology. Or you look at when Avatar came out. You see, to me, that's goddess church. You can't get much closer to nature than that that world oh, they lived in and, and, and Avatar. And I don't know if you remember, um, but I was watching closely because the Christians were going crazy back then. And a spokesman for the Pope actually came out and said, you know, they were upset about people being so enamored with Avatar and that nature would never replace religion. You know, it, it was like they were competing with it really you know um, it's really sad I, it, and you're, you're it's sad you're absolutely true the whole in the advent of the whole patriarchal movement it, it it moved to dominate the universal truths of nature which cannot be dominated they they have a life of their own they will never die it, it's something that cannot be denied I think what's happening now is this forcing of, of re, what I call religion which is the Christianity and all the other religions, whereas when we follow nature, it's a way of life. It's not It's not a religion. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, it, I was thinking of a quote Roy actually came up with, my husband. If He said uh, he said one day, he said, goddess spirituality uh, is not a religion that you, it, goddess religion is a way of life. You don't have to die mm-hmm. for her. You have to love for her. And I thought, oh, my little husband came up with that. I'm so proud. <laughs> oh, he's so awesome. Roy is so awesome. If you're out there listening, Roy, you are you rock, okay? Roy rock. Yeah, sometimes they surprise so, us, don't they? <laughs> I, I know. Well, well, they listen. You see, they 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 listen and they they learn. <laughs> um, so so the so the disinformation, though, you know, hello, you hello. you hear all uh, all of the. All of the negative stuff. Um, you know, what are some of the craziest stories you've? Oh, she just—we lost her. Oh shoot! I'm sure she will call right back in. Uh, we'll give her a minute here. Uh, well, I hope you are enjoying this conversation with uh, Lady Brenda, and it'll probably take her a few seconds to uh, to come back. And anyway, um, let me see. Uh, I think while we wait for her to uh, to dial back in, I will share with. Oh, here she is. Okay, I stalled long enough. Uh, hey, I don't know what happened, but you, all of a sudden you were going. I don't know. Yeah, it just kind of like popped off, but we're back again. So. Okay. Anyhow. So, um, we didn't miss a beat here. Um, you were, I was just about to ask you about disinformation. What's some of the craziest stuff um, that you've ever heard people think when they found out you were a witch? I mean, have you ever had trouble in your neighborhoods or, you know, anything oh, like yeah. that? Or I'll tell you something really funny that happened. It was pretty recent, too. Um, you know, they almost want to say, I have a neighbor who he – he wanted to put a cell tower in his front yard, and it was going to pollute and 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 with all these rays, my all of my neighbors. So I organized a a, 
petition against him and everybody signed it and he didn't get his cell tower. So he thought, he looked on my website and found out I was, you know, a witch. And so I was in the post office one day, it was around Christmas time, and he looked around and he goes, you got to watch out for her. She's a witch. She's going to put a curse on you. That <laughs> was hilarious. <laughs> but, you know, people looked around, they looked at me, and they actually were kind of like taken aback, you know. But he really went yeah. off. It was actually kind of funny. I mean, he would call me a hexen because he was German. But he goes, she's a hexen. She's going to put a curse on you. She put a curse on me, da-da-da-da-da. And it's just, it was too funny. And that's one of the fears well, that they have. It's about curses. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and we live in California, so, you know, we're a little bit luckier. I think people are a little bit more aware. Oh, yeah. But I can imagine if you were in Oklahoma someplace, um, you know, you could have been run out of town on a rail. Um, I mean, you know, so, so many. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know a lot of people can't come out and say what they are because they can lose their children. They can lose their job. Um, you know, even though they say there's, um, you know, religious protection, um, you know, we know that that only goes so far. And if you're in one of these crazy red states, um, you really don't have a whole lot of a, a whole lot of protection. Well, it's it's pretty interesting. We, myself, I've always since high school been very open about it. I mean, it was people would, I've been always really open about it, but. There are instances with people, you know, that they, it's about, like, if you decide to follow the path, a lot of times married couples, the one partner is completely opposed because of their Christian fear. And so Mm -hmm. breaking the news is really difficult. And, um, And I tell some of these women that have come to me and they've taken classes that they have to be up front with their spouse because when they but if they find out it's behind their back, they for, they and and they're very against this belief system, and they're very Christian because even now, especially the, I think the worst are the born agains. You know, yeah. they really they really get virulent with you know how evil and how negative and I mean they they say all kinds of things like you know we're sacrificing babies. I mean they seriously still believe that. Yeah, it's yeah. a shame. It, it It is really a shame. Um, so you talked about that, you know, some of the things that you've actually accomplished um, with magic. Do you want to maybe talk about one or two where maybe you were able to use the energies of the universe out there to um, achieve an, an end? Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. The, the, it's, let me see. It's just, there's just so many. Um Okay, I'll use uh, I'll use one that um, now Egyptian magic, which I believe is one of the oldest forms of magic, and and I follow that. That's very powerful because it not only takes in the use of the moon, but also the use of the sun, working with the sun and the moon. Because there's a lot of witchcraft and Wiccan traditions now that only work with the lunar forces, the goddess forces, um, whereas um, the Egyptian uses both, and um, my daughter, when she was little, was very ill, and she had started wasting away, and, no, and the doctors couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't figure it out. They, it was very mysterious, and so I did some magic, and I I I picked the 
you know, full moon, but I also used the power of the sun, which was uh, I, the day of the full moon uh, and the hour of high noon when the, high, the sun was the highest in the sky on the full moon. And I did some work using the Egyptian, you know, some of the Egyptian traditions and called in my goddess, which is Isis, to help her. And, you know, in 24 hours she became, she got better. And it was wow. that quick. Yeah, and yeah. this is a healing yeah. ritual that I did. And um, so, you know, I've all, you know, and then you can think about all the, you know, like, money things, prosperity and stuff. A lot of the things that I've gotten, like, I've visualized and I've worked for and they come to pass. But I, it's also the type of thing where, and I talk to anybody, everybody is going to go, oh, what's well, magic, let's just do a spell. But there is a real science about it and there's real ethics about working magic that people need to realize it's not you can't it's like anything you just don't go give me give me give me you have to work with the cycles of nature you have to work with the symbolism you need to work with different associations and it's not about asking something and taking you have to be dedicated enough to give something back for what you're going to get whether it be yeah. a small sacrifice, like lighting a candle to the goddess every Monday for a month. I'm just using that as an example. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. To bring in something mm-hmm. that you would like to bring in and you have visualized. But it's important to have that balance in all the work that you do. Otherwise, it, you know, you're probably going to be unsuccessful. And, you know, well, you have well, it's like treating it's like treating goddess like she's an ATM machine, you know. Exactly. Um, there's no reciprocity. Yeah, There's no yeah, reciprocity, you have to have reciprocity. And I believe, exactly. And my goddess, Isis, my goddess, and and I, I think for anybody who works with their own specific goddess, they become very personal. You, you, they're very accessible, and you can speak to them. They give you the wisdom, and they give you their gifts, which they open the gifts of the universe, and they lay them out before you so that you can work with them, and you can't because everything that we need is in nature and in the universe. You just need to be able to access it. So, Brenda, what what do you say when people say say they've say they've covered all the bases, say they've dotted the i's and they've crossed the t's, and you know they've mm-hmm. they've done their reciprocity, they've done their rituals, they've done their work in the mundane world to support whatever mm-hmm. it is they wanted to, because you know there's nothing worse than the people who want a job and never send out a resume, kind of a thing, you know. So they've done exactly. it all, but yet. But yet they still don't get it. They they still aren't achieving whatever it is they want to achieve. How do you how do you reconcile that in your mind? Well, you know, before I do anything, like not for the small stuff, right? But if I'm going to work for something big, or you know, and I never do magic for anybody else, I don't because this is something personal. This is your own karmic path. And if, if anybody out there has somebody do magic for them, that's very negative. It's, it's too far away. It's not. It's not your path. Anyhow, what I do for myself, if I'm going to do something on a larger scale, I always first to see what the consequences are and what is the realm of possibility. There is something out there called the realm of possibility, and it means that there's a little glitch out there that is like. If it's not within the realm of possibility, then you need to kind of step back and say, what can I work for that's more realistic? See what I mean? 
Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. So, so you can, so you can't get that book published. You can't get that TV show. You don't uh, meet the rich husband. Um, you know, you that you you should sort of step back, step back and reassess. Yes, or you take it in different steps. You use a different step. Say, okay, about the rich husband. Say, rich husband. Okay. Well, one of the things that I used to do quite a lot, and this is in this is with the early '90s. I used to do a class called. Um, it was it was pretty popular. It was like um, the perfect mate, finding your perfect mate, and you make a list of what you want in a mate, and um, you make two lists, and then on the full moon you burn one and you keep another one, right? But you got to be realistic, you know. You have to like be realistic. Like not everybody's going to have a bazillionaire who has a yacht. See what I mean? But you put something mm-hmm. in there that you have to have negative and positive. Say he makes seventy thousand a year, but he snores or something, and you can and you're okay with that. See what I mean? You know, everything can be. Yeah. You have to be kind of realistic about it. Trade offs. The They're trade offs. The yeah, the tra- they're trade offs. It's balance. And so the thing about oh, to get the book published, well. First of all, you have to write your book and get it, and it has to be ready. So your sacrifice in doing that is like you got to have something that's worthy of going out there. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then, then you take in consideration the realm of possibility. Maybe you can't write. And that is a <laughs> lesson that you'll learn through your process. You see what I mean? True. That, there's always what's called the realm of possibility, and that's the – there are some things – that aren't workable. They're more like an ingrained fate that doesn't happen. See what I mean? Right. But for the most right. part, there's a lot of things that are very fluid that you can work with. It's like yeah. if you sit down and you're not and you're in a you just sit in your chair or you sit in front of your TV and you want these things and you envision this stuff but you don't work for it, then it won't come to you. See what I mean? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, to, well, and you mentioned. You um, you mentioned um, Isis and you mentioned you know uh, Egyptian magic. Um, mm-hmm. Was 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 that were you called in that direction immediately of all the goddesses and all the different pantheons that are out there? You know what was it that uh, you know drew you to Isis in Egypt? Uh, do you do you even know? Um, when I was like I was. Isis chose me, and you know, it's, and I, it was in a very special way. When I was probably 16, I think. I mean, I'd been reading up since I was about 14 and stuff, but when I was 16, I used to dream of Egypt. I would lay down and put my hands across my chest like, like they do in the sarcophagus, and I would dream about Egypt. I became completely obsessed and fascinated by it, and one um, during one meditation, I do, used to do, like, all kinds of meditation, transcendental meditation, all kinds of stuff when I was in my teens. I still do. I meditate every day if I can. Um, and then I had, I felt, I heard this beating of wings, like like wings, big wings were beating. And I looked up, and in the corner of my room, there stood this very tall, lean um, figure of a woman. And it was Isis. And I saw her face very clearly. And so she chose me when I was about 16. And, yeah. it, and it's been a lifetime. A lifetime you've uh, It has been a you've lifetime. Been in it's been a lifetime. 
Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and and how many times have you gone to Egypt? Oh, it's been about six times. Yeah. Yeah. Six. Yeah. Yeah, that's always mm-hmm. uh, 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 your favorite destination. Um, uh, well, you know, we can, you know, reveal that uh, you and I have gone to Egypt together. Uh, yeah, and, and what a great uh, trip that was. Yeah, we had a, we had a great time, and you know I don't know if you ever heard the story that uh, Roy would tell, but uh, I don't. Do you recall when we did that ritual down at the water's edge behind the Isis temple on the on that the island of Philae, and you know we sort of yes, went do. off you know away from the crowds, and we thought we were yes. alone for at least we were for a little while. We were alone doing our thing, and uh, then suddenly mm-hmm. the tour guide comes up with one of his groups and um he's <laughs> right. he's 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 letting the group you know his group watch us do ritual and if if you can mm-hmm. if listeners can imagine this we were all wearing white galabias and i think we uh-huh. all had red headscarfs on so we looked we very much the part you know we weren't in t-shirts and mm-hmm. jeans and things i mean we looked like priestesses and so we're doing mm-hmm. these rituals you know with all of these sacred objects and the tour guide comes up with the people in tow and um and roy said uh he heard that he heard the tour guide tell the uh, the people that he had brought that these were a group of local women and he actually uh-huh. said come here regularly and do ritual and he passed a hat i mean you know how ingenious they are for, the, yes. for their bakshish <laughs> yes they are i didn't know he did that he actually passed a hat for his bakshish no way yes yeah. yes yes and and, oh. and you know it's so funny when I would when I would give some of my talks uh, on sacred places uh, a while you know years ago when I was out you know uh, talking to people about that book and, and sacred sites, Roy used to love to tell that story, but he would change it a little bit. He would say we and not that we were a bunch of local women, but we were a bunch of loco women, and it, it was just oh, funny. No, you know, I could, you know it, what? I could just imagine Roy saying that <laughs> because of his sense of humor. You know, his delivery oh, is yeah. better than mine, but you know, but. Uh, <laughs> So, so the seer part, though, Brenda. Let's let's get into. Um, I mean, there's so much we could talk about, and I don't want us to run mm-hmm. out of time. Um, so, okay. so the seer. Um, so, why don't you define the title seer and and tell us when you first realized that that you know not only were you a witch, but you were also you were also a seer. And does one mean you're the other, or can you be either or? or you know, but you you're both. Well, you know. Seer, like, like, you can be both, and I think it, it's very intertwined. You know, I'm a psych, I'm a professional psychic, and um, I had my psychic awakening when I was 14. Mine came first through visions, and that, the, the title Seer is someone who sees, that is more of, uh, along the, the line of clairvoyance. And when I was 14, I started having dreams that came true, like, the next night, or for, for like two to three weeks, I was having these every night these dreams, and my and I said to my mother, I go, you know, I said, I think I'm going crazy, and my mother is clairvoyant. As a matter of fact, her father was um, very high up in the Masons, and he was very psychic, and um, he could levitate a glass of water into his hand. Wow. He was very yeah. He was very, and that's. 
I found these things out as I was growing up. But she, my mother used to say to me when I would ask her questions, so let me look into it, which means she would, she had that power, that clairvoyance. And so when I told her I thought I was going crazy, she said, it's a gift. I'll never forget this. She says, it's a gift, and you have to learn how to use it. And so she took me down to the bookstore, because that's the only place you could buy tarot cards, and she bought me my first tarot card so that I could um, use the tarot cards to, you know, kind of... What happens when you start working with the cards is you're able to control your your psychic... Your, you get control of your psychic ability, your visions and stuff like that when you start to work with a tool. And um, so the, type of, the title of seer is more like someone who is a clairvoyant and sees into stuff. It's, it's a, and, and seers, you know, these days we're psychics, but more clairvoyant type psychics. And I use a lot of clairvoyant tools. I use the cards and I use the crystal ball quite a bit and, you know, the mirrors and stuff. Things in which okay. I see. I don't, even, I don't even have to use it. I can just I just see it. You see what I mean? That's yeah. What I mean. Yeah. Well, I, I know you've been doing this for decades now, and, I mean, you obviously wouldn't continue to do it um, if you weren't successful at it. So you've, uh, you've, you've got the gift. Um, mm-hmm. So, all right, so young girls today, you know, who, or even women, you know, who want to be witches, you know, do you, do you mm-hmm. think they're led astray if they – uh, I mean, like I have my ideas about what a priestess is, and you know, I think mm-hmm. you can be a priestess and be a witch, or you can be either mm-hmm. or. Um, you know, sometimes exactly. I think women are priest say they're a priestess because they're afraid of the word witch, uh, because it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, the stuff the stuff that we do in goddess spirituality, the rituals we do, the enactments we do. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you could you could call it witchcraft. You could call it all sorts of things. I mean, we took Kabbalah mm-hmm. classes and, and the stuff the Kabbalah were doing was the same thing um you know i know the christian group was the uh, you know this christian group was doing the very sort of same thing in their women's circles that you know goddess women do in their circles so it's it's all semantics Mm -hmm. really you know it's it's really just semantics but you know but for the people that think you know dressing up goth and you know the pointy hat and you know you know, I mean, I that's guess it's a stereotype if that's, if, thing. That's it. That's really. It, it. It. I don't know. It. The goth thing. I think it evolves really as we have a lot of young kids. They want to be able to control some control over their lives. You see what I mean? And getting mm-hmm. into something like this makes them feel like they've got some kind of control over their lives. Now, what I young girls coming up, you know, it's, I think it's important for them to, because less and less, I believe, people are being drawn to the church. They want more. They live in a world, well, even with all this media and stuff, they know that there's more out there than this negative, fear-based religion telling you that you're going to do this and you're going to go to hell. Do you see what I mean? Right. They can feel it. People are a lot more aware of uh, their own psychic abilities, and especially young people coming up these days, they are a generation that has a lot of deja vu, especially in the early teens. That's what they experience, a lot of deja vu. They start experiencing, they're more psychic at an early age, and and the society itself, itself is a little more accepting on it in some areas. 
It seemed like when mm-hmm. I was when I was it, was it was happening to me in the 70s, it was such an unknown, but it wasn't looked upon negatively. Now it's less of an unknown, but I think that because there's so much fear towards it, it can be looked upon negatively, negatively because of media. See you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, well, and um, I was thinking... Well, I was thinking about psychics, too. I remember when Z. Budapest was arrested for fortune-telling. But now, you know, mm-hmm. people have, you know, people have readers come to parties. You know, I mean, it's it's chic now, where before it used to be a scary thing. <laughs> well, you know, it's very interesting. It goes in cycles. In the 20s, it was very chic. In the, in the late... Um, 19th century, you know, the whole spiritual spiritualist movement it was it was very popular too. It's it's always been popular. I think nowadays, I would have to say that my clients and reading, there's very few people. I, and I do lots of parties and groups, and I was at the Renaissance Fair for 16 years. There's very few people who haven't seen a psychic. Most people have gone to psychics. I rarely meet people who haven't had a reading of some sort, really. Yeah, 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 it's uh, it, it's a pretty common thing. Now, now, I mean, I'll say I feel like it's a common thing out here in California. Now, when I was in Louisiana, um, I didn't know anybody that did anything like this, and I don't know if it's just I wasn't moving in the right circles then or whether it was really very underground. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, now I'll go back to New Orleans, and there are, um, you know, uh, witch shops in the French Quarter, uh-huh. um, mm-hmm. it, but but there didn't used to be. So I think maybe things have changed, um, you know, probably in the last 20 years. They have, and I do, one part of my business is international, and I talk to people on the phone from all over the world, and they're getting, because they're getting phone readings, I mean, I'm not kidding you, I get it from Africa, Afghanistan, people on military bases in Afghanistan, I get it from every, you know, there's all over the world I get people interested in readings. So I think with, you know, the Internet and everything, and a lot of psychics say, oh, gosh, you know, the the Internet, the the phone readings and the Skype and all that has been the death of our private practices. No, it hasn't. It's expanded a consciousness. And, you know, when people get a reading, they get it for all different types of reasons. Some people just want someone to talk to. See what I mean? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. They need a perspective in their life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And maybe they can't talk to somebody else, or um, they they want a no. um, an unbiased an unbiased um, uh, party, you know. Well, I I know you certainly uh, you guided my girlfriend uh, from Louisiana, right? Remember when she was out here visiting and she had a few <laughs> right, readings from right. you, and she was trying to yeah, figure out her love life, and mm-hmm. it, and mm-hmm. you definitely helped her tremendously. It uh, mm-hmm. you you were right on the money with uh, those men. She was trying to figure out which <laughs> which direction to go in. But um so so let's talk a, about a, about your book though, Devlin's Curse. Um so now I would should I assume that Devlin's Curse has witches in it? <laughs> it does, of course. As a matter of fact, the, the 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 heroine of the story is a witch. She's um she's a healer and a seer. And throughout the book and, and throughout the story 
she does she does readings and she does healing. And um you know, there's a lot of traditional stuff that's put in there and then there I have tarot cards and their meanings in there. And then I have um you know, I have her doing a lot of the things that even for the time cuz it takes place in the old west. And interestingly enough, you know, there was and it takes place in my one of my favorite cities of all time, Virginia City, Nevada. And in Virginia City, Nevada, at the, at the time that the story takes place, there was actually a very famous woman that everybody came became you know around for. She was world famous. Who was a seer? And she used to read with what they call a peep stone, which is an egg shaped crystal, like a like hmm. crystal ball. So there was mm-hmm. a lot of. And a lot of the old houses here, like one of the famous mansions here, they all had seance rooms. They were very much into it. Yeah. Interesting. So, so what Isn't is sort of the, um, the, the so Devlin's curse? What, what would be the, uh, the sort of the synopsis? What's what's sort of the story well, the synopsis, that's going on? It's a it's a vampire fantasy, and it's about. I mean, there's an underlying. Um, love story here between the hero, he's a vampire, and the witch who, um, I mean, they've lived many lifetimes together. They come together in Virginia City, and deep down in one of the mines is a demon. It's one of the Babylonian demons that lives in the earth, and he has to vanquish it, and it's been a curse on his family for a long time. So there's different characters. They go through a battle, and then they find each other again. So um, it's 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 full of all kinds of interesting characters and you know a lot of sounds like a it. lot of ones. That, yes, you're going to enjoy it. I mean, you know, your signed copy you will have when I see you at my book launch. <laughs> so so when so. so is it actually out yet? Can people um, yes. can people oh, get yes. it yet? Mm-hmm. It's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. It it, it was released on March third called Devlin's Curse, and it's on Amazon. You can buy the, the Kindle version, or and they also have it in hardback. So. Well, that's that's cool. Well, you know, you've uh, you you've this has come out at a good time. I mean, I, I think you know, witches and vampires are still hot, um, and um, be hot, you know. I think. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I th- I think so too. I I mean, um that that's I mean, I I get tired of uh a lot of the movies that Hollywood does. Uh you know, because they seem to want to do the same thing over and over again, but I never get tired of the witch and vampire movies. Even the bad ones. <laughs> you know, uh, even I the I horrible even, uh, ones, even the ones that really, that that yeah. um, you know, Excuse the pun, suck, okay? <laughs> so so thinking about the, the role of witches, though, in in the media, um, now you say that sometimes, uh, you know, the media will make uh, the witch the protagonist or the antagonist. What did you mean exactly. by that? I'm not, sure if we, I'm not sure if we covered that yet. Well, um, you know, the good witches and the bad witches. I mean... Yeah. The most negative will be like we like we we talked about before is you know they're portrayed as evil and you know doing harm and cursing and and 
that's a, one of the things when they think about witches, they think about curses. How you're gonna like yeah. put some, a curse on someone, and then their life will be horrible. They'll die or something like that. That is not what we're about. It's important to remember, though, that there's both negative and positive in magic, and you have to learn both in order to be able to work, do the work. But you see, you don't want to, it's like anything in your life. Do you want to do the negative that's going to bring you back negative, or you want to do the positive that's going to bring you positive? And, and well, and I think you have to know the difference, because I think sometimes people... To. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, like you know, there's that thing where you, you know, you shouldn't even do magic. Uh, you know, you shouldn't even pray for someone who's sick without their permission. Uh, you certainly exactly. don't do love. Yeah, I mean, you certainly don't do love spells on someone, uh, you know, without their consent. Um, you know, things like that. That I mean, people might not. Uh, you know, if you're a beginner, you might not realize that, that those are no-nos. Well, you never want to bind, which means. I mean, there's a lot of things going on in, 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 in this, in the belief systems and witchcraft and spells and all that stuff. That has there's been a lot of change since the 70s. In the 70s, a lot of old school stuff. All the books written in the 60s and 70s they had curses in them. They had binding love spells and all this stuff. They did that. In the advent of the 80s, it was all white light and crystals and all. It's all positive, positive, positive. But you know what? That threw the balance totally in the other area. You have to know both so that you can make a decision in your life. Do you want to work in an upward spiral, or do you want to work down? Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so right. what I tell my students, what I tell my students is, look, you know, we're working in our lives. We're going in, our life is re- it's a reflection to the universe and back, okay? What we send out there is what we get back. So that's why we always want to work in an upward spiral. If we want to do something negative, then it's all going to come back, and we're going to have those consequences of those negative answers. You know, actions. Right, yeah. right, right. And and I mean, and some people might you know might think it's okay to you know do magic against someone that's given you a hard time uh, because you're justified. I mean, any stuff like that. You know, you can expect mm-hmm. it. I mean, you know, like you could. Uh, I I know, like mirror magic, for instance. You know, that's one of the ones that I generally feel comfortable with because with the mirror magic. Um, you know, you're you know you're saying okay. Well, a person will only get back at you know will only get what mm-hmm. um, they have they have put out. It will reflect exactly. back at them. So if they're putting out good stuff, they'll get good stuff back. If they're putting out you know stuff that's not so mm-hmm. good, well, you know they they brought a it great on themselves. Analogy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's because a, then, that's then called a reflect and return. Reflect, reflect and return. return. There you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so do you think magic can help us in our everyday life? I really do. I really do. And, 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 it's, and it's, you know what it is? It's not so much the actual ritual of it. You can just burn a candle. What it is is our minds are so scattered all over the place. If we want to better ourselves and do something for ourselves, say we're going to work for better health or whatever, this is a way to concentrate our mind power, because it all starts in our mind, okay? The desire, anything that we do, to concentrate all of that on our goal. And that in itself is the beginning of, of magic. That's the intent. Say you're only burning a candle for health. It's a very simple, simple candle spell, you know what I mean? But you're focusing mm-hmm. it on that. You're focusing it, you're lighting it, you're focusing, this is what I want to bring in, this positive energy to heal myself. See what I mean? 
And yeah, it's, it's a, a way discipline. of focusing. It's a discipline. Yeah. It's a way of dis- and, and I believe in discipline in all my work. I think that in any of the work that you do, magic, whatever, this is very important for people who want to delve into all of this. Discipline is very important. You can't just do pie in the sky and, and don't observe the rules and the ethics of the work that you're doing. That's why you have to learn it. You can't just pick up a book and say, oh, I think, you know, in five minutes I can do this money spell or this love spell. You're going to get unintended consequences. Yeah, yeah. Well, or you know, like you're saying, the discipline. I, I mean, it's just the mm-hmm. the focus. I think helps you in other uh, facets of your life as well, because you know exactly. you can't really ach- you can't really achieve anything without discipline and focus. Um, so it mm-hmm. uh, you know even 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 just from that very basic standpoint, um, you know it, it's exactly. sort of a training ground. Yeah, it's a great it's mm-hmm. a great training ground when when you think of it. I'm I'm imagining all of these um these these uh these these mothers uh raising their children on principles of Wicca. <laughs> uh because it because it uh it it teaches them uh you know focus and discipline. <laughs> well, well we we are trying to create a new world, aren't we? <laughs> You know what? And and I'll have to say that my daughter ten, turned out to be an outstanding, outstanding ethical person. Yeah. As a young person. Well, yeah. And I think it gives balance. She's not afraid. She's not living in a fear-based thing. It's not an artificial thing. It's something that she learned as a way of life. Brought a lot of balance yeah. to her life. See what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've done a really great job with her, Brenda. Well, is there Thank anything else? Um, I that um you know i uh, haven't thought to ask that um you know maybe you might like to uh to say before we wrap it up well yes i would like to say that if you are interested in any of my work you can go to www.ladybrendapsychic.com or you can go to www.ladybbooks.com and i have a blog and i i, I list all my events and I'm going to be doing a book launch on June 4th in Lake Elsinore, California. And you know what? Follow me on Facebook under Lady Brenda. Okay. Well, Brenda, it's been fun, and uh, I learned new things about you you tonight. (laughs) And uh, I'm sure our paths will cross soon. (laughs) Good luck with the book. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. You have a good night. Bye-bye. Oh, you too. Good night. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it was enlightening for you and uh, and a fun conversation. I know I certainly enjoyed it. And uh, before we get to our What's the Buzz segment tonight, um, I want to tell you about Joe Carson's new book, Celebrate Wildness. And um, Dana Corby in her blog, uh, The Rant and Raven, said this about uh, Joe Carson's book. Uh, When people wonder aloud how the Wicca of Southern California became so much more nature-oriented and wild than the British traditions from which it arose, the one factor they didn't take into account but should is feriferia. Feriferia, a word Fred Adams coined from Greek roots meaning wilderness festival, is a pagan tradition unlike any other. Based on Fred's vision of the divine feminine, the sacredness of eros, and the potential for intentional communities that truly do no harm to anything, it also draws upon themes familiar to Wiccans such as sacred landscapes, prehistoric beliefs, and the fairy faith. 
Fred intended that Ferrifaria should lead the world into a paradisal future in which freedom, eros, and play are our core values, where that built by human hands merges seamlessly into the wild and the fae romp among us. Celebrate Wildness is a unique, exquisite, and profound book. It created in me a sort of homesickness, a wistfulness for the idealist I was. We all were, back when we and the world and the magic were all young and fresh. Though it's a short book at only 115 pages, it is filled with art, and don't expect to read it quickly. Take your time, let it sink into your subconscious, and what bobs to the surface will be wondrous. And that is Joe Carson's new book, Celebrate uh, Celebrate Wildness and Feriferia. If that's not something you're familiar with, let me spell it for you, and you can go use the Google machine. It's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A. And Celebrate Wildness, uh, it's an oversized book. It's a hardbound book on heavy paper, and it's available for $45 from the ferraferia.org website, F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A.org. And... um, yeah, don't forget the other work of Joe Carson, too, um, that we've talked about here on the show. So thank you, Joe. Uh, thank you for making sure listeners know about uh, the wonderful book, and uh, good luck with it. I've seen it. I have it. Uh, thank you for my copy and uh, all the things that Dana and all the other wonderful reviewers have said about the book. Uh, they are all very true. In fact, um, I was thinking about the uh, the I think it was on HBO or Showtime I forget now True Blood I remember the Fay um, uh, you know the magical you know Fay people in True Blood and I don't know this brought them to mind uh, as well. Anyway, let's see. I promised you some other things tonight uh, in our uh, What's the Buzz segment, and uh, that's when we uh, talk about. Um, you know, all things out there that are related to the sacred feminine, uh, whether they be good or whether they be not so good. So um, here we go with our What's the Buzz? And uh, the first thing I want to share with you is about the veil. I mentioned that I had some new information that you might not have known And uh, I dug this out uh, the other night when I was filing. I'd been looking for it, looking for it. I lost it for a few years, and now I found it again. And um, it uh, it was actually in the Australian news, and they were talking about uh, a 92-year-old Turkish archaeologist was on trial in Turkey for inciting religious hatred because she angered Islamist circles with a scientific paper saying that the use of head scarves by women dated back to pre-Islamic sexual rights. And uh, the name of the article was Academic Faces Trial Over Headscarf Article. And um, the the scholar, I'm going to try my best to pronounce her name, it's uh, Muazes Sig, Uh, devoted her career to studying the Sumerians, the first known urban civilization dating from the 4th millennium B.C. She was to appear in court that year uh, in Istanbul. And 
and, and this was all because in a book that was pu- was published, uh, Sig said uh, the headscarf, a controversial issue in Turkey, was first worn by Sumerian priestesses initiating young people into sex, but without prostituting themselves. Well, a lawyer from the western city of Izmir, and that's in Izmir is where all the academics live, um, uh, well, he took offense and he filed a complaint uh, against uh, the scholar Sig, who uh, who is a woman, by the way, resulting in a prosecutor charging both her and her publisher with inciting hatred based on religious differences. If convicted, the two risked up to three years in jail. Well, a port uh, from her formidable academic career, Sig uh, was a staunch defender of mainly Muslim Turkey's strictly secular political system. She wrote uh, to the Turkish prime minister, uh, his wife calling on her to discard her Islamic headscarf and and to set a young uh, an example for young people. Sig said. Uh, about the prime minister's wife. She can wear whatever she likes at home, but as the wife of the prime minister, she cannot wear a cross or the headscarf. Um, Sig said that in an interview um, in the popular daily publication called Vatan. The Islamic headscarf uh, is viewed by secular Turks as a symbol of political Islam and is banned uh, by law in public offices and universities. The issue polarized Turkish society, particularly since... um, the Justice and Development Party swept into power in the uh, in 2002 with an end to the headscarf ban high on its list of electoral promises. Um, so anyway, this is an old article, uh, but the the reason I was it, it so intrigued me was that uh, you know this scholar uh, Muazzez Sig uh, had discovered uh, in her study of the Sumerians that the headscarf actually dated. Back Back to pre-Islamic times and, and to sexual rights, uh, which I thought uh, was, was very interesting. And it sounded like it was for potentially uh, guys and gals because she didn't say, um, you know, it was just initiating women. Uh, she said initiating young people into sexual rights, uh, you know, because they didn't have the taboos, um, you know, about sexuality that uh, came to us, you know, with... Um, you know, with patriarchy and Judeo-Christianity. So, interesting stuff, I thought. So I hope you think so, too. Um, also, I got a uh, email from a listener I wanted to share. Uh, e- the listener is Amy. She said, I just wanted to thank you for the recent podcast episode you did on journalistic integrity. I just shared it with a friend of mine who's been glued to the TV for months watching this circus, and I think your episode woke him up to the energy he's been giving to what he doesn't want rather than what he does. I'm so grateful for you sharing your words on the matter. I wanted to let you know about my favorite journalist Bonnie Erbe, E-R-B-E. She hosts To the Contrary on PBS, a roundtable discussion of news and politics by women on both conservative and progressive sides. Here's a link to the show on PBS's site, uh, pbs.org backslash to the contrary. So thank you, Amy. Uh, I really do appreciate that. And um, now I also said I wanted to uh, share with you about the the interview that would never air. Uh, Yes, indeed, this was very interesting. Um, 
I think it's an interesting story uh, I did last week on a really big radio show where I was booked to be the guest. And I probably shouldn't tell you the name of the host, so you might be able to guess. Um, I think our interview will never be aired. And, um, you know, I have to say, I have never not aired a show in the 10 years I've been a host. My ego isn't huge, I don't think, and I, and I don't always have to be right. In fact, I often defer to my guests' expertise. After all, that's why they're here on the show, uh, to share their wisdom. But the host of the show I was on probably, I don't know, maybe he, he can't make such a claim. You know, in hindsight, I think the host might have been uh, right-wing, maybe Christian, maybe Republican. Uh, I came on the show thinking I was going to talk about the sacred feminine as alternative history that many people never discover and and why it's relevant today and so important that we know about it. And, you know, I have to say in the first five minutes, I knew I'd better, better gather myself and be prepared for what might potentially be an adversarial interview. So, you know, he starts out the first five minutes, actually, I think, um, maybe even you know, trying to mock me in a um, so in a subtle way. Um, you know, he didn't seem to know there was clergy outside of uh, Christianity and Judaism and Islam. You know, he was kind of in you know incredulous about that. And because there aren't any sacred feminine seminaries that he could recognize, he I think he thought he could use that you know to marginalize uh, you know my decades of study as a. Um, uh, you know, as an independent scholar. You know, then his tone was very suspicious of, uh, you know, the t- titles I was given, the honorary titles. And, you know, he wanted to know where they came from. So um, I started to say I was given the title of one of the 13 most influential women in goddess spirituality because of this radio show. Well, I barely had the words out of my mouth, and he jumped down my throat saying I was trying to advertise for myself. And I said, well, no, I, I really wasn't. I was trying to answer his question and, you know, uh, give it some context and advertising wasn't my attention. But my other title of Wisdom Keeper, you know, this goddess spirituality movement was issued from a magazine. Well, you know, he seemed like he was still grasping, you know, to try to poke holes in my credentials. But, you know, he never quite could. And, you know, it was, it was a little little sad, actually, because, you know, we, we know oftentimes people do that kind of stuff because there's fear in there somewhere. Um, you know, so then, you know, I tried to steer the conversation to talking about how losing a feminine face of God has cost humanity, particularly women, lots of stuff. Well, uh, like me, you know, when I was, I even said, you know, like me, when I was living in my bubble in the Bible belt, you know, um, you know, I, I said that, you know, I say that all the time because I know what it's like not to know you know, all of these things, and, you know, something awakens you to it. And, well, you know, he hadn't discovered anything about goddesses at all, you know, beyond what he learned about Greek goddesses in grade school, it seemed. So, you know, I got a chance to tell him about all the living traditions of goddess worshipers around the world today. Um, You know, he seemed to be one of these folks that if he didn't know about it, then it was suspicious or maybe it wasn't even true. Um, So anyway, you know, I, I kept trying to, you know, share information, so I went on to the things women suffer in today's culture uh, that we feel we can track back to not having had a feminine face of God and patriarchy, like domestic violence I brought up first and foremost. Well, he just went a little crazy. He said uh, he knew because he 
used to be a cop, that um, that there are an awful lot of men out there that get beat up by women. We just never hear about them. Well, you know, I tried to, I mean, he was almost acting as if there were as many men who suffered domestic violence as women that suffered domestic violence, which, you know, I, I thought is kind of ridiculous. And But I tried to politely agree to disagree and said I felt statistics would bear out my point that women probably suffer more from domestic violence than men who are being, you know, beat up by women. So then I moved on to female genital mutilation. Well, what does he say? Uh, Lorena Bobbitt. Lorena Bobbitt. Well, some of you may know who Lorena Bobbitt is and some of you may not. And I think it was back in the 90s, Lorena Bobbitt bit off her husband's penis. I don't remember all the details that led up to her doing that, but she did. I mean, it was in the news and uh, it was crazy in the news. Well, Now I was getting a little hot under the collar, I have to admit. You know, I said, well, if you think that uh, that's in any way relevant to female genital mutilation, please, I encourage you and your listeners to look up what female genital mutilation is because that's just flat-out ridiculous. It reminds me of the host that once told me women were doing just fine. After all, look at Oprah. (laughs) You know, just because one person... Uh, does something, you know, that one person doesn't speak for, you know, the multitudes. Well, somehow the conversation moved um, to women's rights being subverted, you know, um, particularly I, I was talking about contraception and birth control. He said, well, all the women he knew, his wife and his mother, were just happy, and he didn't get the stuff that I was talking about. And, well, as an aside between you and I, my dear listeners, I thought to myself, but I didn't say it, I bet he's never asked his wife and mother if they were happy. He probably just told them they were. But, you know, he sort of came off as that type. But, of course, I didn't say it. I thought it to myself. And uh, I went on to try to give him uh, an example of how women felt being dominated by men trying to control their lives. I said, well, imagine for a minute, Rob, that the prevailing religion was something other than Christianity in, in the United States, and lawmakers in Congress were making laws according to this new prevailing religion that said men couldn't masturbate, they couldn't take Viagra, and maybe they couldn't have vasectomies either. Well, you know... Uh, religion said it and laws were being made and so we all had to comply well do we well i you know i thought uh, you know men wouldn't be cool with that would they yeah i asked him you know um i doubt it uh but yet christian men think it's perfectly okay to tell women what to do uh with their bodies and even violate their constitutional rights to an abortion well that's when he kind of popped a gasket he said What do you mean violate their constitutional right to an abortion? They don't have a constitutional right to an abortion. And I said, Rob, you're kidding me, right? What about Roe v. Wade? You know, and there was dead silence on the other end of the line. Well, I'm I'm not sure. I think he might have taken a commercial break then. It, uh, I, you know, my memory of exactly how everything strung together is is a little bit foggy. Um, maybe he used the Google machine and looked it up and discovered the Fourteenth Amendment and read about its protections. I don't know. Um, he also started talking about how awful religions are. They're all horrible. Uh, I I don't know. I felt like he was trying to trap me, but I didn't bite. 
uh, and didn't go the way I think he thought I would. Um, I said religions can be terrible if they prevent people from being their authentic selves, if they prevent women from reaching their fullest potential. I suggested he consider how many gay kids might have killed themselves because Christianity told them they were abominations. I said, but religion gives a lot of people comfort in times of suffering, and look at the power of prayer. And I suggested acceptance, or at least tolerance, was uh, what might make um, the world a better place and maybe was better than abolishing religion altogether. And I told him, um, you know, people who have had an experience of deity probably couldn't be convinced to give it up. And also, too, you know, religion does provide a kind of morality. And I told them that the sacred feminine values were those of justice, fairness, partnership, peace, um, collaboration. Well, you know, um, he kind of, you know, uh, went in another direction. And, you know, we asked about my involvement with the Joseph Campbell Foundation. And I started talking about how mythology shapes our culture and why it's so important to continue our education and get out of our bubbles and see the world outside of where we lived. So, you know, then he, he closed the conversation asking me if this sacred feminine stuff, I, I think he did call it stuff, how widespread is this? And I said, well, you know, it's growing more and more every day. I, I mentioned progressive Christians changing liturgy to include the sacred feminine uh, in their churches. And uh, I talked about the Council for the Parliament of World Religions and um, about me being asked to give a talk. You know, then he suddenly just cut me off abruptly. I, I don't know if uh, I even got to mention my website or anything. Uh, he, he didn't come on afterwards at the end of the interview after we, uh, after the re recording was over, you know, which is sort of customary. You know, you, you thank your guest for doing the interview. Um, you know, it was just dead silence. He didn't send me uh, a link to the show. Um, he was, and he hasn't even aired it to my knowledge. It, it didn't air when he said it was going to air. I inquired by phone and by email, and there have been no replies. And you know, I'm, I'm just going to really drop it. And in fact, um, you know, I think I might have even dodged a bullet because if his listeners are anything like him, I think the information I provided in the interview was maybe just too unsettling for some people. You know, there there might have been some nasty backlash. Uh, but, you know, I'm still here with my pink-handled machete blazing that trail. Uh, I think this guy was actually gassing my tank, uh, making me more tenacious and determined to do what I can to uh, share information with people, like even people like him, about how we might make the world a better place with some evolution and awareness of our fellow uh, and sister humans. So anyway, if you have any thoughts about that, um, you know, Send me your comments. Um, I'd uh, I'd love to I'd love to hear about it. And uh, let's see what else I have for you. Um, yes, there was a great article that uh, came out uh, in the last few days. Uh, it was in the Guardian. It said uh, Nigeria's female genital mutilation ban is important precedent is is important precedent. Uh, as the outgoing president, good luck, Jonathan, bans female genital, genital mutilation in one of his final acts, groups look to the last African nations who have not yet made it illegal. And this is an article by Alexandra Topping. 
the Nigerian government has taken the historic step of outlawing the practice of female genital mutilation, or FGM, in a move campaigners describe as hugely important. Nigeria, a cultural and political powerhouse in Africa, introduced a new federal law banning the practice, which involves removing part or all of a girl's outer sexual organs. The outgoing president, good luck, Jonathan, what a name, huh? Signed the ban into law as one of his final acts as leader. He was beaten in Nigeria's presidential election in March by Muhammadu Buhari, who was sworn into office on Friday. The law, which was passed uh, by the Senate on the 5th of May, also prohibits men from abandoning their wives or children without economic support. Around a quarter of Nigerian women have undergone FGM, which can cause infertility, maternal death, infection, and the loss of sexual pleasure, according to a 2014 UN uh, data. The practice was already banned in some states, but now it would, will be outlawed throughout the country. It is estimated that 125 million girls and women globally are living with the effects of FGM, which is most widespread in Africa and the Middle East. The Guardian recently launched a global media campaign to end the practice with backing from the United Nations Population Fund in order to help local journalists report on FGM and shed light on its consequences. The news of Nigeria's ban was welcomed by campaigners who hope it will have a knock-on effect in other African nations nations where FGM is still legal and widely practiced. Uh, says Secretary Justine Greening of the UK International uh, Development, uh, this is a fantastic, is fantastic news and a landmark moment. We are now one step closer to ending this harmful practice. So there is some good news afoot. Um, Let's see. Also, uh, I have something here from Jane, a listener, uh, sent it in. Uh, it's called The Ages of Woman. The Ages of Woman. At age eight, she looks at herself and sees Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty. At age 15, she looks at herself and sees Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Cheerleader, or if she is PMSing, Fat, pimples, ugly. Mom, I can't go to school looking like this. At age 20, she looks at herself and sees too fat, too thin, too short, too tall, too straight, too curly, but decides she's going anyway. Age 30, she looks at herself and sees too fat, too thin, too short, too tall, too straight, too curly, but decides she doesn't have time to fix it, so she's going anyway. Age 40, she looks at herself and sees too fat, too thin, too short, too tall, too straight, too curly, but says, at least I'm clean, and goes anyway. At age 50, she looks at herself and sees I am, and goes wherever she wants to. At age 60, she looks at herself and reminds herself of the people who can't even see themselves in the mirror anymore. She goes out and conquers the world. At age 70, she looks at herself and sees wisdom, laughter, and ability, goes out and enjoys her life. At age 80, she doesn't bother to look. She just puts on a red hat and goes out to participate in the world. At age 90, she can't see, so doesn't worry about it. <laughs> so thank you, Jane. Thank you for uh, sending that to me. Uh, she also sent me uh, another lovely 
uh, thing here that uh, I think I have time to go ahead and and share with you. Um, it's it's by uh, Maya Angelou actually, and it's called uh, Phenomenal Woman. Yes, by uh, Maya Angelou. It's a poem that was uh, being circulated uh, during Women's History Month. It goes like this. Pretty women wonder where my secret lies. I'm not cute or built to suit a model's fashion size. But when I start to tell them, they think I'm telling lies. I say it's in the reach of my arms, the span of my hips, the stride of my steps, the curl of my lips. I am woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman. That's me. I walk into a room just as cool as you please, and to a man the fellows stand or fall down on their knees. Then they swarm round me, a hive of honeybees. I say it's the fire in my eyes and the flash of my teeth, the swing of my waist and the joy in my feet. I am a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman. That's me. Men themselves have wondered what they see in me. They try so much, but they can't touch my inner mystery. When I try to show them, they say they still can't see I say, it's in the arch of my back, the sun of my smile, the ride of my breast, the grace of my style. I am woman, phenomenally. Phenomenal woman, that's me. Now you understand just why my head's not bowed. I don't shout or jump about or have to talk real loud. When you see me passing, I ought to make you proud. I say... It's in the click of my heels, the bend of my hair, the palm of my hand, the need for my care, because I'm a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman. That's me. Pretty cool, huh? I think so. Um, Let's see. Uh, I had uh, another what's the buzz comment, uh, an opinion uh, about the presidential campaign. It's uh, not too long here, just a short little paragraph. thought I would share with you. Food for Thought. Here it goes. Food for Thought by Karen Tate. No matter what candidate you're supporting in this presidential campaign, do you find it odd that Hillary supporters are silent as Bernie Sanders is bullied and marginalized by the mainstream media and the DNC? This is supposed to be a democracy. Would they stand by if this injustice were happening to a woman or to Hillary? Do you find it odd that people who have been fighting against the establishment for most of their adult life have suddenly decided to vote the establishment candidate? And most I've talked to can give me no reason that they can articulate besides they want to see a woman in the White House. Her history of voting more like a Republican seems to escape them, as does the hype around how she's helped women and children. Just like I feel Rachel Maddow has stuck a knife in my heart, being the corporate tool she so obviously is these days, it's very difficult seeing so many of my feminist friends stand behind Hillary instead of real change. They've stuck a knife in my heart, too. I'm sure it's not intentionally, but they have anyway. Food for thought. Food for thought. I um, want to share with you, uh, Thursday night, I have another special episode um, speaking to 
the um, uh, spiritual morality of caring economics versus separation of church and state. Uh, it's a blog post that uh, that I wrote as part of an exercise that I had to do in a class I was taking uh, recently uh, in Rianne Eisler's Center for Partnership Studies. Uh, so I think you might enjoy that. So uh, something extra this uh, this week. Uh, because I will be off uh, the Wednesday before Memorial Day. So uh, I do have one more show this week with uh, Jez Hughes uh, on the 18th of May. And uh, Jez is going to be with me uh, talking about the shamanic path, healing the earth, our ancestors, and ourselves. Uh, so you will have uh, heard from me a good bit this month, uh, just not a show on uh, May 20 on May 25th. And uh, let's see what else I have to share with you tonight uh, before I go. Oh, yes, please uh, remember uh, the sale of my books uh, during the month of May. You can get Goddess Calling and Voices of the Sacred Feminine for $1.99, uh, the Kindle version, you know, the ebook version on Amazon. Uh, so please take advantage of the opportunity. It will not be something that uh, uh, will happen again that... Uh, you know this is a, a rare a, a, you know a rare opportunity so don't uh, don't pass it up also please remember my life coaching services um I used to just do those by word of mouth, but I do have some uh, openings that I can fill, so I've decided to uh, share uh, that opportunity as well with uh, with listeners. And remember, uh, if you enjoy this kind of programming, uh, Blog Talk is not free to hosts like me, um, and I think we see more and more uh, as we turn on the television how important it is um, that we have uh, media besides uh, Main Street Media that has really given up uh, on journalistic integrity because of their corporate owners. Uh, it used to be media was the fourth estate. Uh, it was uh, one of the legs of uh, democracy that kept democracy free. Uh, well, you know, uh, the media has sold out. I don't think it comes as a surprise to any of you out there. So anyway, your contributions are needed and welcome because uh, I do pay out of my pocket to give my guests a platform to teach and share their wisdom. Uh, if you would like to make a donation, uh, it would be wonderful. There are PayPal buttons on my Goddess Store page on my website, KarenTate.com. Uh, and uh, you can uh, you know, avail yourself of all the free stuff on my website while you're there. And please... Um, Check out uh, the Goddess Calling audiobook series on YouTube, uh, the downloadable meditations, uh, the classes, the talks, uh, all of that, uh, all of that stuff. And uh, speaking of freebies, uh, don't forget to um, go to Sage Woman, uh, Sage Woman magazine, um, wonderful magazine that has been around for. Uh, gee, I think it uh, think it might actually be uh, could it be thirty years. Um, celebrating the goddess in probably over 30 years. Uh, Sage Woman really does have its finger on the pulse of the women's spirituality movement, and uh, every issue that comes out is about 88 pages long, and uh, it reaches over 10,000 women. So if you have not gotten your free copy yet or... Um, 
you know, or you've you know you've you've never, or you maybe haven't gotten a copy in a long time, uh, take advantage of their free offer for a sample issue. You can get it by going to SageWoman.com, or you can call their toll-free number 888 SageWoman or 888-724-3966. And, um, yeah, I'm actually advertising my life coaching there in Sage Woman now, and also, too, that I give talks and workshops, and um, and I have ministerial services as well. So that's the place you want to be if uh, you're interested in uh, women's spirituality and goddess spirituality, um, finding out new stuff and uh, and sharing information. It's kind of one-stop shopping there. Um, all right. I guess uh, we're about ready to come to a close, and I want to remind you you can catch any show from the archives. You can also listen via iTunes as well. And I'd like to close with the wisdom of what Goddess teaches us, that what you nurture and tend to and focus on, that's what survives and thrives and grows. And what you neglect, well, that's what withers. That will not be successful. That will not be abundant. Uh, Remember that for all the different phases of your life. Yes, indeed, for all the different phases of your life. And... um, Tonight, the quotes I'd like to close the show with are from uh, Wise Words from Eleanor Roosevelt. There's four of them. She said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Hmm, Think about that. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Then there's, a woman is like a tea bag. You never know how strong it is until it's in hot water. I like that. That's funny. A woman is like a tea bag. You never know how strong it is until it's in hot water. Learn from the mistakes of others. You can't live long enough to make them all yourself. (laughs) I actually had a woman tell me that. She said she was going to start her organization after she saw me start mine, and then she would know the things she wanted to do the same and would do differently. (laughs) Maybe she knew this Eleanor Roosevelt quote. And then the last one, beautiful young people are accidents of nature, but beautiful old people are works of art. Yes, indeed. Beautiful old people are works of art. Well, thank you, dear listeners, uh, for tuning in with me tonight and um, uh, every week. Uh, I appreciate you. You are the gas in my tank. Uh, please continue to send your comments, uh, your emails, uh, your show ideas, your guest ideas, uh, your uh, your appreciation, even your criticism. Um, you know, I can use that too if it helps make the show uh, a better show. And um, I will close tonight with the music of Celia, and I'll let you hear the whole cut of the song that opened the show called Wide Open. So think of Celia when you're uh, in the market for some goddess music. So here's Celia's Wide Open. Good night. I'll be back with you Thursday for the special episode.